weeks in a row. It's a world record. As if we're like a normal weekly show. Shocking. <laughs> Giving the people what they did not ask for. <laughs> I think that's every podcast. <laughs> Who asks for some certain thing? Oh, I want a podcast about this. It's delivering. Nobody knows. Everybody just puts their shit out into the ether and hopes somebody listens to it. I guess that's kind of true, but you still have to search for it to find it. You do. Therefore, somebody out there must want it. Yeah. Well, you used to be able to search and find weird podcasts back in the day, but nowadays everything that is on Apple Podcasts or Spotify is all huge conglomerate media companies. So you don't actually get amateur podcasts anymore, really, in those feeds, which is a shame. That is very true. That is very true. But. Off topic, starting yeah. right off. Completely off topic. Welcome to His Film, Her Movie. I'm Jordan. I'm Lauren. And we are the podcast that asks the question, to what lengths will one married couple go to to make the other watch some films that they love? Yes. Second week of heist season. It is. Last week was Rafifi, my choice, which means that this week is your choice. Yes, and I picked the 2018 Gary Ross film. Oceans 8. That is only, well, probably less than four years old. That feels like it was made 10 years ago. I know, I know. It feels like it was made a long time ago, but a lot has happened in those four years. It, it has, it has, it has. <clears throat> we are a podcast of Pod Syndicate, so you can go over to wearepodsyndicate.com, see how all those other shows. Yes. You can go over to hisfilmhermovie.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all sorts. Yes. Join the Pod Syndicate Discord, yes. all that sort of lovely, lovely stuff. Reviews on Apple Podcasts would be lovely if you give yes, us five please. stars and leave a review. That will always help get the show to more people. Yes. Right then, let's begin the show. Yes. As we always do with what's been keeping you entertained. Well, yet again, fell out with our multiple streaming services. Yes. Because... I just wanted to watch The Mummy. I don't get why I have to pay for it everywhere. It's one of those things with streaming services, though, is I never go onto a streaming service looking for something. I always go through and say, okay, I fancy that. Well, see, that's just it. Uh, The other night I was like, oh, I fancy a bit of Brendan Fraser. I'd seen, like, like, a bunch of stuff, and I was like, do you know what? I haven't watched the original Mummy film. In years, Google lied when I Googled it. It said it was on Netflix. It's not. Maybe on American Netflix. Okay. Um, no, I put UK and it says All it right. was on. It wasn't there. Found it on Amazon and it was like £4. And I was like, no, I just want like a lazy watch. I'm not paying money. Mm-hmm. Then I thought I want to watch Sleepy Hollow. That again, had to pay for. Eventually found it on Sky where I didn't have to pay for it up front. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we pay a lot for Skype <laughs> to give you access to those films. Yes, good. <laughs> um, so yeah, but I watched half of that. I enjoyed it. I just I'm in a bit of a nostalgia sort of yeah. thing at the moment. So, so the what? So the, what you've watched is half of Sleepy Hollow. <laughs> that is dedication. <laughs> whilst, whilst on TikTok. <laughs> Shameful. <laughs> no, I've done really badly this week. <laughs> I've been reading trash books. Yeah. And I've, I've read a lot this week. But you have. That, that is what's been keeping you entertained as well. 
really trashy books. About vampires. <laughs> vampires and gods are actually vampires and Hades and death and this woman who won't stop crying every single page. Now she is like a full on like What's vampire. It um, It is called, let me find it. I, I, love, I love how you've been reading this series and you don't <laughs> know the name. Okay, uh, so I'm so I read the first book in like a couple of days. That is called Gods and Monsters. Then I'm on the second book now. That's called The Fallen Queen. Who's it by? It is by Janie Marie. Okay. So it's it is, and I don't mean trash is in. Oh my god, she's a bad writer. I mean trash is in. You can switch your brain off, and you don't have to think. You can just read and be like. To be honest, you've you've. Describe most of it. It sounds trash in even. No, the... it's great. It's like a romance. There's a little bit of Rudy bits. It's hilarious. <laughs> My only thing is, is that the the main vampire won't stop picking up the girl and carrying her like a baby, which I just find weird. It's like just let her use her legs, love. Like <laughs> she'll be fine. She's like 27. She's walked for a long time. She knows how to do it. And then the main girl just just cries a lot and um, i get you've had a hard life but every single page it's like and her tears welled with art with with eyes tears welled with eyes eyes welled with tears and at first i was like okay right get it and i'm like now i'm a bit like it's a little bit like when i first read um, Fifty Shades of Grey, yeah. and it just talked about her inner goddess for three books to the point where I was ready to climb in the books and murder the inner goddess if they didn't stop talking about her. <laughs> but I'm still enjoying it. It's okay. got to the fighty bit. Right. I like a bit of fighty bits in it. So it's good. <laughs> what about well, you? What have you been well, preoccupied I, I've with? I've actually seen quite a bit this week, so... <laughs> Whilst I've been reading. And watching half a film. And Criminal Minds. <laughs> and Criminal Minds. <laughs> I'm like the worst film podcaster ever. <laughs> what have you watched? <laughs> Not a full film. <laughs> <laughs> what have you watched? Well, I wanted to watch this, but I couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Bezos. Let us watch The Mummy for free. It's not going to make it. It's not for free. We still pay for Amazon. Yeah, exactly. That's what made me annoyed. We pay for Amazon. <laughs> but, 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 we... we don't have access to every single film. Well, we pay for it, so we should. <laughs> Netflix doesn't charge you extra. Oh, this is a, literally the fall <laughs> of humanity. It's, it, it's that expected. Like it's, it's why people hate millennials. We want, to, we want it now. We want it for free. I already pay for it. Actually, no, that's a lie. Jordan pays for all of our subscriptions. I did pay for Netflix and now we've got it for free through Sky. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If you pay for a streaming service, you should get all the films included on that streaming service. All the films. Okay, okay. All the films. (laughs) Right, so first of what I've been watching is I went to the cinema again. Um. I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> no, it but I went, like I that went was a to film. the cinema again to see Nightmare Alley, Guillermo del Toro's new film, a remake of Edward Goulding's 1947 film with the same name. Mm-hmm. It finally came out onto UK screen, screens after coming out the same weekend as Spider Man Nowhere Home in the States. Yeah. It obviously <clears> absolutely <throat> obliterated in the box office, which after seeing it, 
is a shame, but completely understandable. Mm-hmm. It's it is either somebody <coughs> thinking, or oh, let's have some alternative screenings. So some people who don't want to go see Spider Man mm-hmm. will go see Nightmare Alley. Mm-hmm. But I think they maybe just didn't really understand how many adults actually go see these Marvel movies as well. They just underestimated it. And plus, it's the, it was, it's the biggest film that's came out it, since it, before, what, since Endgame, since Infinity War? Yeah, actually, might be, yeah. It's the biggest one. So people were expecting to go. It's gonna. It was the biggest blockbuster that people have been waiting on. Yeah, and I, it's, Like, it's even, even my mum went to go see it, for goodness sake, and she only likes Guardians of the Galaxy. And, and that's it. And it's one of those <clears> things where... No Way Home was this huge post, not post-COVID, but since... Tail end since, COVID. Yeah, well, hopefully tail end. But since since the pandemic, it's the biggest opening, it's the biggest film, it's the biggest everything. Yeah. So there's that there. So Nightmare Alley starts Bradley Cooper, is Stanton Carlisle, um, as we see his journey from drifter to low-level carny to a high-end mentalist. Mm-hmm. And the questionable decisions and lies that he makes along the way. Mm-hmm. And when you do get to those dizzying heights, and I say <clears> with <throat> any rise always comes the fall. So we get that as well. And for me, it's that old, that age old situation that watching a troubled, flawed character who has way for thin morals is way more exciting and interesting than watching characters who do who always do the right thing. Oh yeah, definitely. And I, I like the dastardly nature of Stanton and, and his moral tale and that arc of starting out <clears throat> wanting to do what's right, but being corrupted by power, by success, and that ever clinging sensation of never being satisfied and always wanting that tiny bit more no matter what. I mean, it's a well-trodden thematic anchor if you will for a story but when it's done right it's enjoyable yeah yeah and it's worth saying that it's been over a decade since i've really connected that i really properly liked a guillermo del toro film mm-hmm. from being such like a fanboy during my late teens and early 20s i i've sort of cooled on him but this really is like a return to form for me and what I like in it is that the way it celebrates its influences and Del Toro's love for the original is when you're watching it, you can spot that, I mean, straight away, that it's got some real old-fashioned bones. Mm-hmm. Not only in the style, it, it is gorgeous, and the set and the art direction are all on point, but you expect that from a Del Toro movie. Yeah. You expect it to look and, and feel nice but it's the overall narrative and the temperament of the film that really got me with just how classic it felt and it's got a specific flaw to it and stanton carlisle is a character in and cooper's performance it's difficult to really explain without watching it but it feels so of a time mm-hmm. and his scenes with kate blanchett <clears throat> completely jump off the screen and you can see just how much they're enjoying playing around with this style of acting. Plus, I mean, Claire, Kate Blanchett is just one of those human beings that looks like she belongs in the past. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this being a period picture, her features are made for this type of film and this type of filmmaking with all the aggressive shadows and, like, the gorgeous spotlighting. She she has a very 40s noir femme fatale aura about her mm-hmm. that, that I really do just adore. And yeah, it's <clears throat> it's just an all round 
great experience. It, it was a real surprise for me. Good. Just because I'd seen some good wording about it, but I saw some good wordings about The Shape of Water. Yeah. And that didn't connect with me. I need to go back to that film because... I won't be going back to that film. No. Because I've only seen it once and I might need to reassess it. But yeah, I mean, the more I think about Nightmare Alley, the more I actually enjoy it. Yeah. It's such a tactile film. It's very lived in, but also very overly cinematic that it just pops when you watch it. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. I really did, really did like it. Another film I watched was a little-known, very little-spoken-about Canadian thriller from 1991 called Clear Cut. Okay. Directed by a guy called, and as I absolutely obliterate this pronunciation, Rysgard Bogajski. Okay. Polish director. Um, It's about a, a white lawyer called Peter, played by Ron Lee, who... After his case to stop the local logging company from ploughing down the woodlands of the First Nations Reserve fields, <clears throat> and the First Nations is basically the indigenous population yeah. of of that area, the leader of the nation, Wilf, introduces the lawyer to Arthur, who is this mysterious, seemingly militant indigenous activist, mm-hmm. played by Graham Greene. And Peter, unintentionally, it seems, gets involved with Arthur in kidnapping Bud who is the general manager of the logging company, <laughs> played by Battlestar Galactica alumni, Michael Hogan. Mm-hmm. And after Arthur takes Peter and Bud into the wilderness to show, especially Bud, the true... Well, to show him that there is there's consequences for his actions, his actions of, of tearing down the land and, and ruining their spiritual place. Mm-hmm. And first and foremost with this one, this is Graham, Graham Greene's movie, it's probably the best I've ever seen him. The calm, eerie danger that oozes of him, um, off of him is so unpredictable. And until, until it happens, you never really know what he is actually capable of. And that gives you this, this simmering tension throughout the entire movie. And he always seems on the cusp of madness. Mm-hmm. He, he is very playful. <clears throat> and that gives him that unpredictability of the, of that character. And, but the fascination comes from what Arthur as a character, I, I think, represents because he arrives from under the water in right. a very supernaturally way. Mm-hmm. And you've got Peter who, because of the responsibility he felt or lack thereof during the proceedings of the case, because he, he is accused from some of the the natives of not caring enough at the time and things like that. So when they do fail, I think he does have a lot of, of rage and a lot of frustration against the, the logging company, mm-hmm. but he doesn't really do anything with that. So is Arthur like a physical manifestation of his... Like a fight club type thing? Well, no, no, not really. Is what, what, what it's playing around with, I think, is that Arthur is what Peter would want to do. Oh, but okay. Doesn't have the the balls to do, if you will. Mm-hmm. And he, he argues <clears throat> throughout the film about the ways that he's going about it, and he understands what why Arthur's doing it, but he doesn't really understand his methods because they seem um, it's it's the way the natives would basically deal out their revenge. Mm-hmm. And 
And that's what, again, he, he could be as well. It's like, because he is like the embodiment of the First Nations, his revenge against the logging company, against the government that allows their homes and spiritual lands to be destroyed and pillaged. And again, the, the revenge is brutal and severe. It's like one of the most shocking scenes involves Peter waking up to find that Arthur has Bud's foot secured to a tree with a knife. And he's just there with his um, Bud's legs outstretched, like trousers off, and he's just skinning. Oh, no. His lower leg. No. But what he's calling, he's basically he's just debarking no. him. And no. It's, it's torturing him in the way that they're torturing the land. It's saying like he's debarking yeah. them. I, I got that bit. Yeah. <laughs> I got and that. It's, it's a real wake-up because although there's been a lot of talk about what Arthur will do to Bud, there's been no real violence to that point. So when you actually have a character wake up, walk over to these two people... And there's gory violence. And there's, it, it's just so matter-of-fact. It, 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 it's kind of brutal. And it's a film that I didn't know existed last week. Mm-hmm. I just found it doom scroll on the internet, and now it's one that I'm recommend recommending everybody to see because it's a real low key slow burn of a thriller that de- fully delivers what it's selling. Mm-hmm. It's got some interesting <clears throat> themes. It, it, it's gnarly when it needs to be, and it, it's got a absolutely incredible central performance by graham green like cool. truly truly wonderful and finally um and probably the best of the bunch to be honest is gilbert case's 1971 film mm-hmm. i never sang for my father starring gene hackman and melvin douglas and the film centers around their complex son and father relationship hackman plays this mild-mannered ex-serviceman now professor who struggles to escape the shadow of his overbearing elderly father. Hackman wants to marry a woman out in California, and he wants to move out there and live with her. However, when his mother dies, he has this inner conflict to actually leaving. Right. Now, if you want a plot-centric, fast-paced film, this is not the one for you. Um, But if you want something that's kind of emotionally meaty something that you'll spend a fair few hours after the film analyzing and content contemplating then this actually might be it might tickle your fancy mm-hmm. to say and it's it's a film that carries quite a bit of heft because as i think for many it would be it could be so relatable and raw it's practically a psychologist psychologist's <laughs> textbook yeah on screen Okay. Um, it's a study on guilt, on responsibility, on misguided affection, on masculinity, on masking selfishness, selfishness as love. Mm-hmm. It's painful to watch at times, and there's moments when you want to grab Gene by the scruff of the neck and scream at him because he needs to get away from this man at all costs because it's suffocating to, I mean, to watch, let alone for somebody to live through. Yeah. And Hackman is like, I haven't really seen him before. He, he plays hard men well, 
he's got like a powerful personality that demands attention, but in this he is super subdued, he's quiet, he's very passive, mm-hmm. and he just lets his father step all over him, like dictating his life, basically placing another <clears throat> brick of guilt into his backpack whenever mm-hmm. he has a chance. And at the beginning when Hackman picks up and like examples of this is like his parents, he picks his parents up at the, at the airport from being in Florida because of his mother's ill health mm-hmm. uh, and the temperature. And his father, knowing that he spent some time in California and that he's seeing someone there, mm-hmm. he takes him aside and he's, he says that if he ever moves away, it will be the nail in the coffin of his and will kill his mother. That's awful. And And we can see that like it's just things like that where it's passive, but mm-hmm. it, it, it holds weight. It's like a punch, and we can see that Tom is toxic. But you can see why Gene maybe be misguided to stay because he's loyal to a detriment to his own life. I mean, we find out that he has a sister when the mother dies, and his sister's coming along, and we 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 find out that the father disowned and banished the daughter because. She married a Jewish man. Mm-hmm. And it's strange because you've got all these people saying that he's a good person. It's like even the way that the mother speaks of him before she dies, mm-hmm. the father, it's it's an old-fashioned way of making excuses for his poor, like, poor behaviour, but then end of the sentence, but he's a good man. Yeah. That you you sometimes got at, the, at that era of those very complex pre-post-war men. Mm-hmm. And... It made me think about something my my old man said once when my grand like when my nana was unable to really take care of herself and it's that circle of life where it's when you're born you're unable to take care of yourself but when we get too old we basically morph back into being an infant mm-hmm. and being unable because that's the mother did a lot of the work yeah and the father is even though he's a strong personality. He's losing his memory a bit and things like that, mm-hmm. um, and it's sort of like yeah, it's it's that responsibility of children. Mm-hmm. So if, what responsibility do you actually have? Whereas generally at that point, your family would step in and, and, and things like that and take care. However, the way that this is presented is that, and the way Tom is toxic is he sees it as a receipt. Right. And he, he is like, well, no, I raised you. So now you owe me this. So now you've got you to do it. Now you owe me this. Yeah. It's like, now you owe me this. Don't care about your life. Mm-hmm. You're here now to be with me. And it's <clears throat> just presented in such a way that feels real life. Mm-hmm. And it feels like you could have been in that situation a hundred times, um, but not even noticed it. Um, and it's it's really 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 good, and it's 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 an interesting film in that sense. But like the last twenty minutes or so, I'm with Hackman and Douglas just delivering some of the rawest performances. And you realise like the best cinema is when you just let two people on screen battle out the conflict between them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's utterly heartbreaking, and it, it, it makes you angry, but it's also quite emotional mm-hmm. because it's. It's not over the top. It's not overly dramatic. It, it's it just feels very real life, and I, I completely, completely appreciate that. And well, that is it. Good. I've talked for a long time. You I need have. a drink. My <laughs> mouth is dry. Yeah. But we'll have a break. 
And then we'll get into the film. And we'll get into Ocean's 8. Yes. So? So, isn't like rubbing a liquor store. Well, that's why we're not rubbing a museum. That's why we're rubbing I'm, a museum. I'm sorry, I don't speak Ukrainian. I said, we're not robbing a museum. We're robbing someone. In, in a museum, yeah. Mentioned. Look, even if this was possible. Yes, possible. Even if it was, I mean, we'd need like 20 people and half a million dollars. Seven. Seven million. Seven people and 20 grand. Why do you need to do this? Because that's what I'm good at. Uh, yeah. And you know what? I have run this thing a thousand times. And every time I got caught, I fixed it. And in three years, I wasn't getting caught anymore. By the time I was paroled, it was running like clockwork. Perfectly. And you were there with me. Every step of the way. Oh, honey, is this a proposal? Baby, I don't have a timing yet. Come on, do you really want to spend the rest of your life watering down well vodka? Because it's really kind of a waste. Come on. Take a bite. Just take a bite. You're really entertaining. So, like we said, following on from last week's uh, film, this uh, series is all heist theme based, and um, we decided. Well, I decided yeah. to pick Ocean's Eight. Um, I think everybody's probably heard of the Ocean's films. Yeah. There's so many of them, but this is the there's so many of them. <laughs> Don't go far. There's still a lot of the same sort of basic yeah. film happening. Um, but this is the only one that's completely female-led. Mm. And I remember seeing the first one years and years ago, probably when it, around the same sort of time it first came out. So it might be the second one, and then that was it. So I had never seen this film. Yeah. I knew the basics, that it was set at the Met Gala. I remember when they were doing like the press launches and all this sort of stuff when it first came out, but never really gave it much of a much of a thought until now. So... It's got quite a good star-studded cast, though, including Sandra Bullock, Rihanna, Anne Hathaway, Aquafina, Kate Blanchett, Sarah Paulson, Helena Bonham Carter, and Mindy Kaling, just to name but a few, which is great. Lots of really good um, female leads in there. Um, something that I pointed out, I think every single one of these women has actually been to the real Met Gala at some point. Yeah. So they should know what happens and what would be expected when they went. Um, and it follows uh, mainly Sandra Bullock as Debbie Ocean. Yep. She's the lead. You get her when she's just coming out of prison, which actually mirrors the same way that Ocean Eleven actually originally yep. opened in 2001 with her brother getting out of prison at that time. And she's had just over five years to plan the perfect heist and her heist is to steal the cartier diamond necklace tucson the tucson cartier diamond necklace from the met gala yes um and everybody has their own little role to play and what i quite liked about uh the characters themselves in this everybody is quite a, a rounded sort of character um, everybody is playing somebody that you could kind of see them sort mm -hmm. of being. So I think that was quite, 
quite well done. I thought it was well cast. Um, though I do, though I did read that Anne Hathaway actually replaced Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence was supposed to be in the film originally, and then she had to drop out of it, so Anne Hathaway took her role. Mm. But I love Anne Hathaway. I think she's a wonderful actress. I always find she's very um, emotive. Yeah, yeah. So I always find her quite fun to watch. So I enjoyed watching her in this. Um, and you basically get to go through in the first sort of 20 minutes what everybody is doing, how everybody knows each other, what sort of criminal background that they have. And everybody comes together with all their various different skills and experiences to be able to pull off what would have been, if it was real, possibly the heist of the century. And that's it. Again, it's that, it's that structure of getting the team together. Yeah. Quite, quite like... I didn't feel it was quite as cliche as other ones where I've sort of watched because sometimes it's like, oh, I know this, da, da, da. like next scene, you've mm. got like somebody. I didn't quite feel like, I did. yes, it's getting the team together, but I felt like it was a more natural way of okay. getting the team together. Um, other sort of things when I've watched it have always been like, oh, if you get in this, you get like all this money and you'll get this and you get this. But then like you, they went to like Mindy Kaling's character um, Amita, who is the diamond and jewellery specialist. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, great, loads of money. And like, yeah, but then you have to see your mum. Yeah. And she's like, actually, do you know what? Great, count me in, because if we lose, I still don't have to see that woman. Yeah. I love the fact that they kind of played on a more emotional sort of basis to be able to get little things like that um, in. Because I was like, yeah, it's, it, it's funny. It plays on stereotypes, but it's something that you could probably see women sort of saying to mm -hmm. each other a little bit more and possibly acting in a more rational way. Um, one thing that really bugged me, and I actually saw online that other pe this bugged other people. So the uh, whole theme of the Met Gala was European royalty, like through the ages, and it featured their beautiful gowns and their jewellery and everything else. Everybody who turned up to that Met Gala was not dressed in the theme. Okay, I didn't know. You are supposed, the whole point of the Met Gala is that you are supposed to dress in the theme. Like a few years ago, they did like a religious sort of iconography and um, Billy Potter turned up. He looked amazing. Um, I remember Zendaya turned up in like a full like chainmail slinky dress looking um, like, oh my God, what's the woman who got burned at the stake? Talking to God, looking like Joan of Arc, it's like a Joan of Arc inspired thing, um, and it's all meant to be very couture, very crazy sort of fashion. Like you had Lady Gaga at the camp one a few years ago. The woman wore four different outfits on the red carpet because she just kept on stripping off, and there was another outfit underneath as she had bodyguards, a wind machine, and a little like truck painted full of champagne. There was nothing over the... I, that's what I was kind of looking forward to. Yeah, yeah. I was looking forward to them letting letting somebody go a bit wild with, like, costuming and all kinds of different stuff. And I actually remember when we watched it and you got to see Anne Hathaway's dress and she was standing next to Helena Bonham Carter. And I was like, Helena Bonham Carter looks like the only person who's actually dressed for the theme. She looks like a midsummer princess with the crazy hair yeah. and the flowers. They were just nice, were just nice dresses. It was just off the rack, expensive dresses. It wasn't couture. It wasn't crazy. And I really feel like Helena Bonham Carter just pulled that out of her own wardrobe <laughs> and just did it herself. And she was like, I'm in theme. It's great. 
Um, that thing kind of bugged me about it because I feel like that was like a level that kind of broke me out. And I know it seems like such a stupid thing, but I feel like the whole story behind this and the whole demographic that this is aiming to is our women like me, women who like this, want to see something a bit fun, a little bit different, but then you set it at the most exclusive party pretty much in the entire world that we are never, ever going to get to go and see, but we get to see the red carpet. We get to see what people are wearing and you do not live up. You don't don't deliver the hype. You don't deliver the hype. The whole point, the red carpet is the hype of the Met Gala and they failed on that. And everybody just looks like they've gone to like... Harvey Nixon bought a really expensive dress and I was a bit like mm, a bit disappointed with that for me first things first and by far I think the most important question to ask about this movie okay how in all that is holy does Kate Blanchett see anything through that fringe okay right I have a fringe or bangs as they're called in the US and you see me when they get when they get too long I'm like I'm going to have like a 90s, it's, 90s, like, what is it, like fringe her, thing? Her entire performance, she seems to be craning her neck back just so she can see underneath mm. her fringe. Oh, my God. I know. It's really like, it's, but it's, like a, it's like sort of like a jaggedy sort of fringe. Yeah. Yeah. She deserves an Oscar just for not like just going, just, I've just hit the microphone, just like <laughs> flicking it out of her eyes because I would have literally just got a couple of curvy grips and put it back. <laughs> But yeah, you know, I actually kind of like this movie because it's it's a nice breezy watch. It's a trash movie, but it's not trash. Yeah, you can switch your brain off and you can enjoy it. Yeah, because it, it, it's just it's very lightweight. Yeah. It, it, again, you don't have to think. It's just it's happening in front of your eyes. Which again, it's that's a negative and a positive because it's just. It's inoffensive in a way. But at the same time, none of the oceans are really all that mentally taxing. Well, stylistically, I'll probably say some of them are. Um, especially, I mean, Ocean's 12 is my favourite. Uh-huh. I love Ocean's 12. But that that plays off like 60s, 70s Euro crime. Yeah. It, 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 Steven Soderbergh really over-stylizes those movies in a way that is just kind of stimulating. Yeah. But... As you mentioned, I like that it started with the same oceans, the same mm-hmm. way as Oceans 11. I find it funny that they basically killed George Clooney in the first five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> but is he dead? Yes. Well, that's it, isn't it? it He's it, dead. But at the same time, even his own sister isn't 100% certain that he's actually dead. Yeah. And I actually also like, especially like the original trilogy, that they get the main casting completely right. Yes. Um, Sandy B is abs- an absolute perfect anchor for this film because she for the, and for the same reason why George Clooney is for the originals. Mm-hmm. Um, when I say originals, it's not a remake. It, it's you know what I mean. The, the first three movies because yeah. she has that same likable, affable, cheeky charm mm-hmm. that he had in those those films. People and would want to gravitate towards him and they'd want to gravitate towards her. Absolutely. And it, it fits so well that you that everybody hangs off that. Yeah. Um, and it could be an interesting discussion is that I'm not sure, if, again, if it's a positive or a negative, but 
it makes it so obvious that it's part of this ocean's universe it, that it doesn't have the chance to have its own identity. And I mean that in the way of stylistically, it's made in the same way, even mm-hmm. with the same sort of score, that, that, mm-hmm. that funky score. Yeah. And it makes it easy to make comparisons. Mm-hmm. Now, again, some some of the visual flourishes as well. And I'm just trying to think of, for example, for like Gary Ross, the director. Yeah. What would it be like for him to turn up to make a movie that basically has a style guide? And is it a restriction that they have to do that? Is it an opportunity? Mm-hmm. Because there's two different arguments. It's like, if this wasn't called Ocean's 8, sadly, it probably wouldn't have got made. Yeah, that's very true. But, yeah. is, but then does it have to be the same? But does it have to be so the same? Like, even so, like I was mentioned that I liked Sandy being the character, but she is a basically a male George Clooney. Yeah. Kate Blanchett's character is basically a male rusty brad pitt's character mm-hmm. even to this place where she's quite she's got lollipop she's eating which is what brad pitt's character does throughout. right yeah and it's i just feel like it must have been such a, a i don't know disappointing thing of saying okay i'm going to make this movie i've got this stunning cast yeah because they're all very well known actresses in their own right but i've got to make it exactly the same as all exactly the same and it's that's a little bit sad. Yeah, and as well, and I also think that this is why some people who I have to say I do not agree with, but they're like, oh, well, we're just going to make the male films female, which, yes, we should have more female-led films, yeah. but to make them work, we shouldn't just be remaking things yeah. and using... This could have been their chance to completely change up how the oceans sort of trilogy was yeah. they they're not the same people yeah to have different any decisions that makes it easier to compare the two get rid of think, them yeah because yeah. people are always going to compare them and sadly they're going to compare them possibly in a toxic way yeah and again it's one of those things where it's not talking about the cast but you're comparing for example gary ross who is a okay filmmaker to steven soderbergh who is a amazing superb filmmaker and you're always going to come off feeling like the diet version of it. Yes. And especially with that big... Because most of my positive points about this film is to do with the cast. Mm-hmm. Like Anne Hathaway, she has such a believable energy of like an emotional volcano. Mm-hmm. And she gives she gives real great bitch energy when she can... T- but it's, oh, her, yeah. it's her ability to go from smiling... To tears, I don't it, know how it, she does it. it, 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 it in the like, say, it's, they don't even pull the camera away, no. and she's suddenly crying. And it's like, how do you just make yourself she's cry? Really good because she, she has a scene in Dark Knight Rises mm-hmm. where she's with a gangster, and she's basically being Catwoman, telling her the way it is, and owning this this gangster. Mm-hmm. To then, as the the cops come in, to a screaming victim, so she doesn't get caught. It, it's oh, yeah. within a second, and it's she actually she's absolutely brilliant at that. As, as I said, Helena Bonham Carter, love I her. loved her energy throughout the entire thing. The accent, I have not meant to be Irish, but sometimes she's not doing Irish. But it it kind of suits the character and suits her as well. I fully believe, and I said this when we were watching it. The only outfit I think that she did not pull from her own wardrobe is the black suit that she wore to Cartier yeah. and the only reason I think that is because it is not 
funny enough. Yeah. I fully believe that she did her own hair. Fully believe she did her own makeup throughout the entirety of this because um, she's just brilliant. I just love her. She is. In this, she's just... She's very, very just playful. And yes. I, I, I like that about it. Again, Aquafina, I like. Rihanna, I even can, I found fine. Sarah Paulson's great, that uppity megalomaniac sort of stealing. I, uh, see, I love Sarah Paulson. I really love her. And I know it's because I've watched all American yeah. horror stories and everything, but it's nice to kind of see her in much bigger things and kind of getting like people who don't watch that sort of stuff getting to see her yeah. i do think it's a shame that you don't get don't get to see like her full range in this because mm-hmm. it's a very sort of samey one level sort of character which there's, i think there's no is real a shame arc to it. you know there's no real arc she has a load of stolen stuff in a garage and then she goes to having a lot of stolen stuff in a warehouse yeah um yeah and she has kids really nothing that big happens to her but i i'm pleased that it's something else that sort of more people get to like know her from because i think she needs more recognition Absolutely, absolutely. Especially in the film world, I mean, she—I think she's pretty much got TV covered. Yeah, but she could it's a very specific there. style of TV. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Anything else on your list? I've got a couple more points. But... Um, I like—I liked—I enjoyed the flashback. I thought it was good. It wasn't like slap bang start to seeing how um, Debbie Ocean ended up Central in, prison, in yeah. prison. I thought that was quite good. I liked that. Um, I thought it came at the right time because quite often you'll get like people like having flashbacks in prison and this sort of stuff. Yeah. You no, know, I liked where it happened. Um, I really liked the diamond effect border that they sort of had at Cartier. Right. You know, when you first like see like all the jewelry and it's like a diamond effect. Yeah, yeah. It did make me think a little bit of the PowerPoint presentations yeah. that I make at work. <laughs> though for certain brands, it really made me think of that. So I was a little bit like, see, I go to the same. Same uh, school as that those art directors too, and I really also I love the little Banksy, the founding yeah. mother's piece. I thought that was very fun, uh, a bit of a throwback to early two thousand ten teens yeah, sort of yeah, Banksy yeah. when he was infiltrating a lot of different art galleries and leaving his art in them. And I thought that was quite a nice little nod back to how he sort of like got his original sort of made his name made his name doing all these sorts of things and i love the fact that it was the founding mothers as well so the founding fathers thought yeah. that was a good sort of bit into the film it was like he knew what was happening yeah yeah apart from that really it's not really a film that you can get into deeply because it's not a very deep film and that's not that's no. not not a, that's not a criticism because it's it's, it's, it's an not enjoyable made for that. film yeah exactly and so i really when you're watching it, you are enjoying it. It's again, it's one of those where you watch it, as soon as the credits are. I could see it being like a good Saturday night film. Yeah. Absolutely. You get some pizza, you get some popcorn, you have a little glass of wine, you sit down with friends or significant other, and you can watch it and you can be like, I enjoyed that. I completely agree. I completely agree. I mean, there's a few. Um, again, overall, yeah, I did actually, I mean, I do like this movie, but I said I love the original Ocean, Ocean's films as well because I just think that they actually work really effectively. But there are a few cringeworthy notes that I made, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it's just the way that the shot that makes it bad, but Sandy B and Kate Blanchett give a big exposition dump to Helena Bonham Carter's character. Yeah, they do. Basically outlining the job of what they're doing and how they're going to do it. 
and they do it on an iPad by basically swiping right and left to different pictures. I and get the feeling, though, that Helen Bonacapo Rose. Yeah. I get the feeling that she physically would not be able to understand. That, that, that might be a point. As in, that's that what I think about her character. character. For me, it was just like there's got to be visually somewhere, some other way of doing it that's more exciting than literally let's let's look at a screen and flick left to right to because do yeah. Pitches. But the thing is, like they didn't they they sort of told her, but they didn't fully tell her. Yeah. She had to put it together by flicking in between. So I saw it as yes, it's cringy, but also I think. She's definitely a visual learner. Yeah, that makes sense, actually, for the character. So I'll give you that one. Thank you. And the next criticism isn't a fresh take because a lot of people, a lot of people commented at the time about this. In it's that the heist itself mm-hmm. seems to go too smoothly. That's because we're women and we just get our shit together <laughs> and we're just organised. She had five years. I know. And at the same time, it's the Met Gala. I, I completely understand that. But again, as in like a film and you've got to actually amp tension and create drama, when something goes so plain sailing as that, you don't get any of those adrenaline moments. We don't need to because we're organised <laughs> and we know that we know what we're doing. <laughs> so the, the, you'll, you'll come back to that criticism. <laughs> for women, we're obviously would not make any mistakes. <laughs> obviously, we're going to have our shit together and we're going to pull off the perfect heist. Okay? Do you know why you... Completely off topic. Yeah, yeah. But things about how, how many fe- female serial killers have you heard of compared to men? Oh, yeah, hardly any. Yeah. yeah. Do you know why? Because we don't get caught. That is why. we d- They don't get caught. It comes off smoothly. Female serial killers, bird people, don't get caught. Listeners, right. <laughs> Last week, we had Lauren say, what's been keeping you entertained? Murder. <laughs> Murder. And now you're talking about how female serial killers don't get caught. Hey, as long as What do you do for those hours when you go out for a walk? <laughs> I, I don't see you then. <laughs> Yeah, but I come home when I'm clean. We've got to tap outside. <laughs> yeah, I'm not washing cold water. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that was mine. It's like when you've got a heist, I think the whole kind of point, I mean, Rafifi is, I think, is a little bit different. Because yeah. it's, but you want something you, to up the stage. You make a plan, but what happens in films is the plan goes out the window pretty early on because then you've got to get over something else that's new and yeah. that creates it. And also the fact that we talked about Rafifi again last week is the alarm seemed very tangible. It seemed very of the time. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned, it's like some heist films now go and create some sort of technology that doesn't exist. The cubic exist. zirconia printing. Glasses. The glasses. No, even the 3D printer, that doesn't yeah. exist. And somebody on online also said about how Cubic zirconia actually weighs more than diamonds. So it would have been really obvious when Anne Hathaway put the necklace back on and was like, oh my God, I'm now on the floor <laughs> because my, this necklace is so heavy. But those are sort of nitpicks. But as, a, as an overall thing, as I said, it's breezy. It's like, what, 110 minutes? It's a good intro to a heist film. We've never really seen one and you want something that's quick and it's going to deliver and you're going to know, you want, you want a happy ending. Yeah. There is a warning. 
for anybody who has to watch it. Oh, I'm yeah. so sorry. There is a James Corden warning. He does turn up. He is absolutely just turned and sing. Thank God. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, James Corden warning. But also, I don't, I don't know how I didn't realize this first time I watched it because I've only seen it once before. Mm-hmm. It has a spoiler in the title of the film. Why? What's the I, Ocean's Eight? Yeah. Oh yeah, and then we when I wrote down all the cast, there was only seven. Because the, the eighth one is Anne Hathaway. Yeah. Um what the hell? I know. I know. I know. But yeah, no, it's a, it, it it's But if you weren't writing notes down, how many times are you gonna go one, two, three, four? But I, you say seven, I need seven. I, well, I wasn't paying attention to that bit. But I was just like, yeah, it's like it's all called Ocean's Eight. And then I actually completely forgot that Anne Hathaway. <laughs> Yeah. Well, there you yeah. go. Surprised for you. There we are. But yeah, I, I, I just clocked that. I was like, huh, okay. But yeah, James Corden's the worst. <laughs> and I think that's probably the best way to end this podcast. James Corden sucks. Yes. So next week is my choice. It is. Have you chosen? I have. No, I have. I'm definitely going to do this one. Okay. I'm doing Michael Mann's Thief. You're looking at me as if I should know what that is. Michael Mann's 1980s movie. Um, and, yeah, I think I've actually settled on Michael Mann's Thief. There's a, there was a few that was battling it out, but I think I've... I've... Thief. Thief. <laughs> Thief. Okay, and now we need to stop before Jordan changes his mind. Yes. Because he will. And that, so, yeah, that is it for another week. We'll be back next week with Thief. You're gonna go into post production. You're gonna. I'm just. All I'm gonna hear is you like recording like a different thing upstairs, and then you putting it in. Be like, oh, he's changed his mind again. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's it. it. <laughs> okay, I, I'm the worst at ending podcasts. I don't have anything witty to say. Hisfilmhermovie.com. Go over followers, emailers, get in touch. Yeah, Apple Podcasts reviews, ratings. Yeah, please spend six. Me, actually, not even six, three minutes of your week. I said six minutes is quite a long time to ask for people. Um, Go over we, sit on the toilet and just give us five stars. Just clean your hands after. We know you're not, we know you're not, we know we know you're taking your phone to the toilet. Yeah. Who doesn't do that? My mum. Absolute masochist. (laughs) I'm going to ring her and tell her you said that. But no, that's it for another week. We will be back and see you then. Bye.